Buongiorno and welcome to my Way Thinking podcast, or more what for short, hosted by me, Lee Greeno, here live from the Man Cave every week. Now, this week I'm speaking to Paul Taylor Mills. He's the artistic director of the Turbine Theatre, a lovely lad, worked with brilliant people like Andrew Law Webber, Bill Kenroy. He's just massive in the theatre world and he's just growing and growing all the time. I also didn't realise uh, that he was a friend of Caroline Flack, who we sadly lost. And we do talk. Um, about social media and the relevance of it and the relevance of being kind because it is very important. I love Paul's passion, just just a lovely young man who's going to do so well. Um, Now, remember, if you want to stream the podcast, you can do it on YouTube, Spotify, or you can watch on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts. Just if you go on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating on there. And if you want to find it anywhere else, just put more way of thinking podcast. Now, every week... Uh, we do some amazing interviews. If you look back, we've just looked back over the last few weeks. We did a brilliant interview with Oliver Price, lovely guy there. Marco Werber, my composer from a film, A Kidnap, uh, talked to him. And we also had Mental Health Week. So if you want advice, we had three specialists. So lots going on. Now, my way of thinking is all about us, amazing human beings who have a story to tell. And those stories can vary massively. But with a guest I'll be interviewing, you'll always be able to take a little bit of advice or insight into how extraordinary we can be. Remember, there's only four rules. One, no bullshitting. Two, no judging. Three, no negativity. And four, have fun. Okay, enough of me ranting. Now, let's have a good old listen to this brilliant interview with lovely Paul. So, welcome to my way of thinking. And I've got a very special guest on today all the way down south. Uh, it is the one and only Paul Taylor Mills. Woo! Welcome, Paul. Hello. How That's quite the introduction. I wish I'd have like dressed up now. I've literally got my running <laughs> uh, jacket on. Well, it's quite <laughs> funny because what, what happens is when I get in contact with people, um, I send them an email and some people... They just either haven't got time or they just want to hit the road running. So I've had quite a few people that say, look, I don't want to look at any sort of subjects or what the show is. I'm just going to go for it. But on there, I always put, there will be video as well. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, that's a classic me. I didn't read the instructions. Yeah. You can imagine me putting together an Ikea bed. Yeah. It says it will take 30 minutes. And then four hours later, I'm still there, not even knowing what the instruments are to do. In, I call the I call them instruments instead of tools. That tells you everything you need to know. But, um, yeah, I, what I'd started, originally I did the podcast just as a podcast, but the reality is now people want to see you for pretty face. And, and you know, some pe- I think you know, some people love podcasts, but I think the yeah. people that don't like podcasts or never listen to podcasts, you've got more chance of them watching YouTube. So oh, great. I just thought, you know. Well, I feel like I better put on a performance then to make it worthwhile. <laughs> You look great. The other day, actually, I did a podcast and the seat, the air thing on the seat went. So I was actually down here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> all interviewed. Well, as, as long as everybody doesn't mind my mullet that is currently growing, you can't Well, you're all right. I haven't got any yeah. air, so. Oh, okay. Okay. I is won't this, compare then. <laughs> is this because you can't, get, um, you can't get a lockdown haircut? I can't get a lockdown haircut, but next week I'm actually filming... Uh, and I'm taking my hairdresser uh, on set with me. So thank gosh yeah. that works. So we're allowed for work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a nightmare. 
Anyway, right. Well, first of all, what I always do before an interview, I'll always start with a couple of funny stories because, Great. as you know, the news is pretty shit at the minute. Um, we need them. <laughs> yeah. So, I've, and I've seen a couple of crackers this morning. One is just ridiculous. Another one's quite heartfelt. So this is about this woman. Let me tell you her name. So Michelle Hoffman is looking and caring after at least 70 cats. Alongside her her full-time job in the film industry, she runs a sanctuary that cares for special need cats. Uh, The cats can have birth defects, terminal illnesses, injuries, and she allows them to live out their final days in her loving home. This is in Santa Barbara. Um, she says, when I started, there was no such thing as a special needs for cats. There were simple cats that no one wanted with terminal illnesses and old age and they'd just get put down. So she's actually opened her home up for all these cats. Uh, sadly, some cats come f- with us for a short time, but we give them the best of everything, good food, medical care, soft beds, sunshine. Uh, we believe in quality, not quantity. No one should leave this world feeling that they're not loved, won't be missed, and weren't important. Oh, I love it. I don't know why it's giving me the giggles because what she's doing is amazing. I know, I know. Um, It's a lovely thing, isn't it? And there's a don't think about it, do you? No, and there's a picture. I'll put it on the the, uh, YouTube of these cats, and they're a right mismatch. One's got no (laughs) teeth, one's got an ear missing. You know, they look a right mess, but they're happy. And they're think, happy. That's all that matters. Yeah, to do that. Um, the, the cats are first brought to the sanctuary. They're isolated for 14 days and monitored by vets. Um, the poor cat, um, one of the cats came from Mexico, was blind. One had a broken jaw. You know, you can imagine. And, and cats are quite feral, aren't they? If they're not looked after, they'll run around. I have to say, I'm a dog man. I think you're a cat or a dog person. I'm yeah, a well, dog I, I, I am a dog person. Uh, I love dogs, but we've got a cat called Sausage. Okay. And, I am, and I am quite fond of it. As, it's got, as he's got older, he is quite a character. Um, the way he okay. interacts with the dogs. So, but I mean, any animals, you know, I love any animals. I am a dog person though. Uh, but these cats, I'll, I'll put a couple of pictures. Like I say, one has just got one eye missing. Uh, oh. But I just thought, what a, what a lovely thing for her to do. Uh, it, you know, because it must be hard work as well. And the other thing is, um, she's she's doing it with all the medical care. And so she must be putting oh. money into it unless she's getting... Pumped. I think I'm going to be like her when I'm an old man, but with dogs. And I'll be <laughs> somewhere in Devon with just like oh. this cottage full of dogs. And I'll just like never leave the house. Oh, Actually, I shouldn't no. be careful what you wish for, right? At the moment. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Yeah, might happen <laughs> sooner than later. I know. <laughs> but anyway, so that, that, I thought that was quite a nice story. Now, this one is completely ridiculous, but it just made me laugh. Uh, right. Many of you see a picture of some fried chicken may declare I'm loving it, while others are perhaps more inclined to suggest it's finger licking good. This is in the Metro, by the way. So this is how good their journalism is at the minute. Uh, either way, that crispy piece of meat has caused something of a stir in the green in this guy's household. Uh, Dad Richard, 47, wanted uh, a meat treat, so he went down to his local McDonald's where he picked up a chicken select meal. And it wasn't until he got home to listen to how they put this to nosh on his meat that he realised the box had been stuffed with an interesting shaped piece of chicken. <laughs> And this piece of chicken looks just like 
a willy. <laughs> Why did you choose this story to share with me? <laughs> I don't know, There's going to be just... pictures that appear around, aren't there? I can I see could, it now. I thought, I thought, shall I not bring this to up? And I thought, oh, fuck it. Um, it's so funny because it's the way they've written it. They've wrote, um, he he then peeled back some of the crust to check what, what he was eating. Uh, satisf- satisfied with what he saw, he got his lips around it for a good old chomp. <laughs> well, let's hear it for the Metro for bringing humour to everybody's lives right now. I think it's needed. Uh, I know. When I got home, I opened the box. I was confronted with... with uh, this is funny. I was confronted with what looked like Mr. McDonald. I don't really know <laughs> what to say because it really does look like a particular something. I haven't seen Ronald in a while, so I hope he's doing okay. <laughs> I mean, the use of language is iconic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It still tasted all right. Um and then it says, we've studied the image carefully and all we can see is a piece of breaded chicken that looks a bit like a toadstool. What do you think? Okay. Toadstool. I mean, that's quite the description, isn't it? I know, yeah. And that's Joe Roberts. So Joe Roberts, if you ever listen to this podcast, which are doubtful, that is some... How did you take oh, that to the editor? Oh, let's make it happen. Uh, how did you take that to the editor? You know, well, excuse me, boss. I've got a cracking story that's just broke. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> anyway, oh, that did make me smile up this morning. So, look, thanks ever so much for coming on, Paul. Now, a little bit of background from uh, how I come to know about your work and things like that is just looking on, I think, stay the stage news and things like that. And I've always been interested in theatre. The Belgrade, do you know the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry? I do. I've worked with them. They're a great theatre. Yeah. yeah, so that's where I regularly go. I do a radio show and get to go and see some of the previews and that. And they, they've had some fantastic shows. And when this all hit, I thought, oh, it's just the, the film industry from myself, but also the theatre industry has just been hit yeah. massively. Um and I just wanted to talk about you because every time I see a bit of story on you, it's always really interesting where you've, where you've come from and where you are now. So, first of all, tell us a little bit about growing up because you said you were, is it Kidderminster you were from? Kidderminster. I mean, some people wave that kind of Midlands flag proudly. Um, I never forget my roots. Good. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm necessarily proud to be from Kidderminster. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate, aren't I? No, do you know what? I was, I was really lucky. It's a very particular place. It's literally in the middle of everything. Yeah. Um, and I had an, an incredible mom that brought me up on her own and oh, uh, was kind of drenched in amateur dramatics. And it was kind of the most brilliant training in lots of ways. Uh, but you know, for a, a single, a, a kind of coming from a single parent household, my only access to art or say culture was amateur dramatics. And it was bloody brilliant. I had, uh, the, I did all of these incredible shows. Um, and then, um, yeah, had a really, really supportive family. Did you, what did you do about university at school? I guess, did you start getting into it at school and then decide you wanted to go? Yeah, I did. Yes, yeah, so I went to Hagley uh, High School, RC High School. Um, I was a good Christian boy uh, then. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then went to Bath Spa University. Uh, and it was brilliant because the course was very much about if you want 
something to happen, if you want to create an opportunity, then the only person really responsible is you. And so it instilled this kind of uh, lack of fear, I think, in my uh, mind. It's interesting as we get older, I keep talking about being old, and I'm actually not that old, but as we mature, let's say, yeah. um, now I'm much more risk averse and I hate the idea of like throwing caution to the wind. But Bath kind of instilled in me this sense of go out there and do it. And I did and graduated and just got out there and said yes to every opportunity. And then I had a really, a really lovely run of working with some incredible people on some brilliant shows. And as you know, from working in film, that cross-pollination of one thing and leading to another and making contacts, um, maintaining contract, uh, contacts and being good to people um, and being nice, sometimes we forget that, um, has just led on to other things. Uh, and here I am now, many years later, in my own little theatre uh, at the Battersea Power Station. It's interesting, isn't it, where this is one industry and it's similar, any creative industry and similar to the film industry. If you want to get on, you can't have an ego, you have to be nice and you have to make connections. There's no ifs or buts. You'll soon fall by the wayside. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough, well, I'm not, I suppose I'll do it as a hobby. I'm lucky I don't have to make, you know, a living from it. I've got a job. I'd love to yeah. make a living from it. Uh, but that pressure, you can't afford to uh, not make those connections or piss people off or you know, we're all in it together. We know we're going to have the ups and downs, but we have to get on. It's so important, isn't it? Oh, it's crucial. It's crucial. And uh, as I, I talk about this quite a lot in my work, I tend to work with the same people, which I actually wear as a badge of honour. And for me, someone wanting to work with me uh, again and again and again, um, those relationships for me are crucial. And uh, it shows the shared kind of, understanding of work you want to create the kind of people you want to work with um and ultimately i've been very lucky in that i've had huge successes and absolutely horrendous flops and everything <laughs> in between and so when you i guess when you've seen at both ends of the spectrum you kind of even out somewhere in the middle and then you start to kind of decide for what is important to you as an artist, as a creative person, because I'm definitely a creative producer. I'm not really a spreadsheets, contracts, yeah. numbers kind of producer. I'm the producer that's in the room and wants to be much more artistic about how a show evolves. But really what becomes really important to you, therefore, is those relationships that you have with people. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say about producing because uh, my first feature film that I made last year, in which we're trying to get, well, we've got distribution, but we're just trying to sort it now because obviously it's been a, been a bit of a crazy year. And I had to produce it myself. I directed it and I'm, I'm creative. I like the creative side. The uh, We had a script supervisor. She was great, analysed, but I, I'm more of a vision. I want to see this on screen. This is what I want. And I produced and I'm already thinking about my next film i've wrote it and we're going to sort it out but one thing i can't do on this next one is produce again it's such a difficult job you are you know as a director you've got your vision i guess it's exactly the same in theater but the producer has to look after the people the crew make sure it works it's a it's yeah. a bloody hard job isn't it 
It is, and I often, it's hard to describe because I guess there are different versions of produced, like I've said. But I usually just say the best way of summing it up in lots of ways is a producer basically is in control of everything you don't see. Yeah. Uh, and it's all of the things that just happen. Uh, and they're the first person to take the bullet. Uh, and normally are the, are the people that are with a project for the longest amount of time. And generally speaking, if it's a huge success, then it's the actors, it's the director, it's the creative. Uh, and if it's a huge failure, <laughs> yeah. it, was the produ- it was the producers and it was the marketing. Yeah. Honestly, honestly. And you have to learn that that's just the way it goes. And that is what it is. It, and it's normally the producer or the marketing people that get the first. Yeah. Um, it's their fault. Um, it's a and I've lived task. it many times. It is. But you know what? Um, I think I'd be terrible at anything else. You know, I often, this year has, has encouraged us all to think if there's anything else we could do. And yeah. do you know what? I don't... Oh, your picture's um, just gone off. Sorry, oh, that's someone that's calling right. me. Welcome to my life. Um, <laughs> you, you know what? I don't think I could do anything else. I think yeah. this is, is what I'm meant to do. And I know that sounds a bit corny, but you get into the creative industries because it's in your bones. It just mm. is you. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think I'm going anywhere, unfortunately, for the industry. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think you'd do it unless it's in your bones. You, you, you couldn't, you can't wing it. I've said this before on the show. You can't, it's not one of those things you could wing of it. Oh, I'll give no. it a go because it's so difficult and it's so frustrating at times. Uh, you know, yeah. when you get rejections, you would not do this unless it's in your bones. <laughs> yeah. And we, and producers have that as well. We talk quite a lot about uh, it's tr- how tricky it is for actors to get rejection when you go for a job. Um, but I can guarantee uh, even a producer who, you know, I've done all right, um, I get rejection on an hourly basis, whether that is about an actor that I want to work with or a title I want to work with or from my mother. You know, <laughs> I, I, the ultimate. We, we all, the ultimate, the worst kind of rejection. But you, you learn to live with it and work out what you need to put around you in order to be able to live with that and to process with that. Yeah. Now going back to sort of your early days when you wanted to start creating shows, I remember reading somewhere that you had to pull some money together and basically if it didn't work, you'd you'd be broke. Tell us a little bit about that because that interests me. You put everything on the line and everything into it to get going and that just shows the sort of hard, hard work and passion you have to put in. Yeah. Tell you more about me being a rogue little shit. Um, <laughs> I, do you know what? It was, it was so different. I'm, again, I don't want to uh, add years to my age, but it was, I started out when I was 20, which was 13 years ago. It was very different. It was a different climate. So you could just take out a credit card, run to Primark and costume a whole cast in a, <laughs> in a, in a show that was in the back room of a pub. And I was just, again, I would do that. And, you know, um, I'd just put shows on with a group of mates and we, we'd be like, you know what, if it makes any money, we'll split it and see what happens. Some of them made us all like 20 quid. Some of them were huge disasters. Um, and, but I, it, it was that. And, you know, there have been times where I've also used my own money, which I would never, ever advise. 
And then as you evolve and you um, kind of move on, you learn the stakes are higher. And so we learn not to use our own money. And we, we establish connections with people who believe in you and invest in you. And now I'm in this really fortunate position that one of my, I guess one of my biggest cheerleaders and my kind of surrogate godfather is a guy called Bill Kenwright, <laughs> who has been uh, fiercely loyal to me over the years. And I've known Bill probably about 10 years now. And we've had huge hits together and we've had huge misses together. And actually the most precious thing for me, of course, is his financial health, which allows me to be sat here and do this. But actually, it goes back to what I was saying about relationships. It's his belief in me and his trust in me. And for me, that's priceless. You know, um, that's what inspires me, that there's someone who I admire that trusts me. Yeah. And you've earned that trust from him, though. I mean, he's a major player. How did you get that trust? Do you think it was through hard work? I think I've, um, I've never actually thought about that. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's something that evolves over time. You know, he's, he didn't suddenly get his checkbook out and said, go wild. <laughs> you know, um, we have a shared, I hope, the thing about Bill, which is so precious, is we just spoke about theatre being in your bones and theatre just being your life. And he has football and theatre. Um, and with Bill, just talking to him, some of my best experiences of theatre are, yes, doing shows like Heather's and knowing that they transferred to the West End or winning an Olivier for In the Heights. But actually, they're sat on Bill's sofa in his office at the top of his building and we chat for two hours about theatre history, theatre stories. Yeah. And it's so, it's so in, kind of in his life and kind of drenched in his bones that theatre is his, his one passion. I think that's what we share. And I think hopefully that's what he sees in me in that you've already said you don't get into theatre because you want to be a millionaire. Um, you get into theatre because you believe in it. You believe in its power. You believe, again, this sounds a bit corny, but in its ability to transform people's lives. And after all of this madness of the last year is over, we're going we're gonna to be reminded of that power that theatre has because people are going to need it more than ever. Yeah. When you work with someone like Bill, knowing the amazing show, I mean, I remember watching Blood Brother. I took my son to see it. You know, when you know he's done those kind of shows does do you try and take some of that from him are you like you know what i mean do you like bill i want some of that where did you get those ideas and that energy and that amazing it's almost i suppose it's almost overpowering in a way and you have to yeah. pull yourself back oh, it's huge it's hugely inspiring and you know I've, I've been lucky to work within incredible people like bill i used to be Angeloid Lloyd webber's advisory producer I did Lin Manuel's first show in the Heights uh, oh, in the UK. You? Oh, I didn't. Yeah, know so that, that was God. Yeah, so good, job. A... good job. Good job. My daughter's not here. We went and seen. Uh, we went and seen Hamilton. Just phenomenal. Just he's unbelievable. Well, he's incredible, and I've been so lucky to be around these incredible figures. They're turning that into. A, they're turning that into a film, aren't they? In the Heights. I'm sure. 
Uh, yes, yes, it's coming out next yeah, year. I thought I think. So. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, yeah. But I guess I always just um, I don't really think about that anymore because I feel like I've got a job to do and I'm there to do it. And my favourite favourite thing in the world is when someone like Bill tells you something's not going to work and 90% of the time he's right 10% of the time he's wrong and I get my wicked way (laughs) and I prove him wrong and it gives me the biggest amount of pleasure in the world but as I say you know the incredible thing about him is he's been there on the dark days and he's also there to kind of hold me up on the good days and to give me a high five and say well done son which is what he calls me. So I feel oh, really, really blessed to have yeah, him. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's good with someone like that, like you say, doesn't get it right all the time. They're still a human being. They yeah. still have their flaws. And no doubt he's, yeah. he's been rejected, you know. <laughs> oh, of course. We, and this is, we have the best time just talking about those moments of how you deal with a success, such as for him, a Blood Brothers, but also how you deal with the ones that don't go well. And for me, um, as I said, I've had every single side of the spectrum and I've loved what is perceived as my outward successes, such as the shows that have won awards or gone to the West End. But actually, where have I learned most mm. about me, about the kind of people I want to work with, the kind of work I want to create? It's on the shows that didn't go well. Mm. Um, and it's, on the, it's those ones where your back's against the wall and you're just working out how to navigate out of the mess which is really where I've learned about my craft. Yeah. You know, when you work with people like Bill and Andrew Lord Weber and Lynn Manuel, what do you, what do you think it is? Do you think they've got something? What, what would you say is the one thing that makes them so special? Is it, is it a drive? I think it's drive and resilience. I think the thing about musicals is I think it's the hardest art form in the world mm. to get right. And obviously all three of those people you've just mentioned have had incredible success. Um, The thing that no one ever talks about, uh, and I'm quite open about, is really when we set off on this journey to do a show, no one's really got a bloody clue, really. (laughs) And if there was a formula of how to make the perfect show musical, everyone would be doing it. And they're not. In terms of the people actually doing it, it's actually quite a small pool of people. There's no alchemy. There's no sense of, you know, you can use your instinct to put the right people around the table and make sure that the right people are at the party in order to try and make something. But ultimately, there's this magical thing that happens when an audience sees a show for the first time and you learn very quickly if it's a thing or not. Mm. Um, I think all of them, though, have a shared sense of um, passion. Mm. Um, dogged determination to, uh, and all three of those people you mentioned, a genuine care to Mm. make sure that they do the best work they can. Yeah, definitely. And you know what amazes me about musical, and I love theatre and I love musical, but musical, I almost relate it a little bit to comedy. If you get it right, you know, and it's amazing, the feeling. And I've seen plenty of shows at the Belgrave and when you watch a, a musical, you know, Hamilton, you come away, you just feel lifted. But I've seen some, and I'm not going to name names, that are pretty... Oh, t- name names. I love <laughs> it. But when you, 
and it's getting that you don't know i mean i suppose i relate it a little bit to when i'm writing sort of writing a film or something like that you've seen it that many times you haven't got a bloody clue whether it's going to work or not have you of course no and i don't and i and everyone always says did you know and i was like no of course of course i didn't know otherwise i wouldn't have plowed thousands of pounds of my money other people's money yeah. i wouldn't plowed that like thousands of hours of my time into it you don't you don't know and as i said some musicals you're with for five years before they hit the stage some you're with three months before they hit the stage and all of them i have to ask myself can i go into a room a marketing meeting and fight for that show presuming it doesn't sell a ticket you know that's what's always going through in my head so sometimes if someone sends me a show and I think it's not my story, I don't know how to tell this story, I don't know who to put around this, and I can't fight for it, and therefore I'm not the right person. And I think each time now that I'm making decisions as to whether I engage with a project or not, I need to ask myself that question, am I the right person, and can I fight for it? Yeah, you've, you've got to. You, it's like I said, you can't go in half ass because you just it'll get to a point where you just can't you've got to see it through thick you know hell and high water regardless exactly. i would guess yeah now, obviously covid times this is a big worry for me and it's it's so difficult people say stay positive it's like oh i'm trying i'm trying where do you see the industry going do you think it'll go back to normal and be brilliant and all singing and dancing do you think it'll be slow do you think there'll only be certain shows where where do you think it's going to go oh good question the golden question um i think uh it's never going to go back to normal mm. um in terms of what we knew i don't think that's a bad thing um i think i think there's lots of different versions of how it's going to evolve and change i think we have to look at what's happened politically and socially over the last year in terms of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, um, in terms of really gender equality being at the forefront of everything that we do, making sure the stories on stage represent the world we now live in. Uh, in terms of the practical considerations, being in a theatre sat next to someone when they cough is going to be very difficult, you know, because we just suddenly have a, a different feel, you know. I think. Um, until tourism is back, um, the West End will suffer. You know, um, we need tourists for some of those big shows like The Lion King, Phantom of the Opera, yeah. that rely on that tourist trade. We need aviation to be back up and in full swing. Um, I think perhaps some of the smaller theatres um, off West End, such as mine, the Turbine Theatre and Southwark Playhouse, could probably benefit uh, from uh, whatever happens over the next year because we have more of a local audience. Um, so people that come from the area of which the theatre is in. Um, but I'm excited because, you know, again, we have to look to the positive. People have had a good year to plot and to hatch plans and to make work. And I think there's going to be lots of shows, hopefully, There'll be no shows about lockdown or what it's like to live in the house. Uh, without the <laughs> if there because is. Because I don't want to see it. Um, but I'm being facetious. I, I <laughs> no, actually, I totally agree. I, I think people have had time to be creative and to work. And from my point of view, you know, it's allowed me time to read, 
to watch stuff, to reach out to writers, to do this kind of thing. That normally, you know, I don't know my ass from my elbow because you're running around at such yeah. speed trying to play catch up. So actually, I think there's also lots to be celebrated about what happens next. Yeah, definitely. It's exciting. Have you been given any idea by the government of protocols or anything like that yet? Or are they holding back until, you know... No, I, I think, unfortunately, no one's got that kind of secret phone line to Bojo. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think what is obvious to me, at least, I could be wrong, is that social distancing is probably here to stay this year mm. um that makes it hard for some theaters to be able to operate in terms of making the economics work i can't see social distance going anywhere uh, this year but again i hope to be proved wrong yeah. i think it's really really important that when we do open theaters again that it is safe to do so so that we are not the thing that producers can't do which we have been doing is this stop start back forth yeah people just don't have those kind of reserves to be able to do that it's really really hard um and and i don't think producers want to get burnt you know um yeah i think, I think that's i think that's what's hit everybody this time next week i'm doing a, a show on mental health and what's hit everybody this time is the fact we started to get a bit of normality back and then it's been taken away from us and even the people that were, oh, I'm not really bothered back then, now are saying, look, this is, this, everybody has, has, has been, yeah. do you know what I mean? Everybody, and that's the hard, the hard thing, I think the mental health um, issues that are going to come out of the last year are going to be huge. Mm. And I think we have to do what we can to um, support people that are going to need help um theater might be one of those ways you know um but i think we are going to have a it makes me really sad to say but an avalanche of mental health problems yeah yeah and i think it's important and i know we, we said before this you you were good friends with caroline flack and i think as a creative and especially when you're on the front i mean front line as in you're out there you, you you're putting your soul on the line and it's so difficult at the minute you know, people have got to be so careful. And like I always say, you've got to try and talk. There's no, there's no easy solution. But what we do have to recognise is we're all going, we're all going through this, aren't we? I think so. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think what's hard is, um, and I never normally talk about this, just is living something like that publicly is oh, wow. is really hard. You know, we all deal with um grief um life uh in in quite a personal way and that's our business and i think when you have to do that uh publicly because of social media it's really hard and i it is you know social media and being able to connect with people and doing this and instagram and twitter we've seen the value of that mm -hmm. over the last year because it's kept us connected and it's kept us uh, kind of in tune with each other, which, uh, listen, uh, I am not doubting the power of that and how wonderful to have that. But at the same time, there's also a really dark mm. side to it. And you can be anonymous and you can throw things out. And as I've got older, and I've definitely learned this, 
I've been really, really, really careful about the noise that I project. And again, someone um, in a position, in a profile position, it is a privilege for me to have a voice within the industry I work in. And I take that seriously. And so therefore, I'm conscious that everything I put out there, I censor and I try and sense check it and I try and make sure that it's helpful and it moves us forward. And I think, you know, it's one thing complaining about your gas bill on Twitter. <laughs> it's, it's another thing directly going for someone. Yeah. And I think right now we have a, a civil responsibility to each other just to, um, it's been said, but to be kind. Definitely. I think the most frustrating thing about social media is it's such an amazing thing and can be such a brilliant thing, bring the world together, bring people together. You know, it's how I contacted you. And we have that responsibility. And it's, you know, it's trying to educate people almost to know yeah. how to use it properly and unfortunately you're always going to get dickheads and people that just don't care uh, how we regulate that i do not know um but it, it, it is frustrating it i is think we're getting there i do feel yeah. like the ship's gone over a wave and i think hopefully people are starting to see that their actions have consequences like yeah. everything yeah, I think before you could write a nasty comment or, or post something and not really think about it, and I think now people are a lot more hesitant and, like you say, feeling accountable, which is a step in the right direction, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, right. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, so I did a film a couple of years ago, it's getting distributed, and it's a low-budget micro, two rooms, and when I wrote it, I thought, oh, this would be good for theatre. And what I thought is, Rob, but I haven't got a clue about theatre, always dealt in small, short films, things like that. What, if people have got an idea for a show or something that, that, that they want to write, what advice do you think you could, you could give them, Paul? Because it's not, I always think with film, it's pretty straightforward, make a short film, there's festivals, but with theatre, it seems a lot more uh, closed or not as easy access. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. What 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 sort of thing? Um, I mean, there's create is the creative England, isn't there? And there's places you can look for fun. Kind of. Yeah. Um, first of all, don't send it to me because I'm terrible at responding to people <laughs> and I feel terribly rude. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I think there are so many brilliant opportunities out there and people um, doing stuff. It's just knowing which is the right one for you. I think a few things. I think say in your case, if you've got this film and uh, think about what the film is about, the tone of the film, and then look at those people within theatre that are doing that subject matter or their work is of that collection of work. So say it's a zany comedy, you know, I'd be looking at those producers that are doing funny uh, work, you know, um, the amount of times I get sent stuff and I'm like, you're just sending this to everybody, which I mm, get. Yeah. But it's, if someone has actually thought about why I might be the right person to do it, and has indicated that the reason they thought that is because I did X show and this show, you're much more inclined to get that person to go, ah, um, what I'm a big fan of, of as, as I've said before, is exercising the material to see if anyone actually cares and mm. if it works. So I do something called MT Fest, which is where we do eight musicals, most of them new, but some of them new in the respect that they might have happened somewhere and not worked, where we might be giving them another shot. And we put them on in front of an audience and that's going to happen here 
hopefully early May. We've moved it from February. Um, and it's an opportunity for writers and creatives to get the work on its feet in front of an audience. And as I've said, I believe that that moment that an audience um, watches something for the first time, the magic that happens in that relationship is really the deciding thing as to whether something flies or not. And I believe the only way to do that is just get it on its feet. You know, sometimes I'm reading something and I just can't see it or I can't imagine how it might be. Um, so there's those kind of opportunities. Um, and again, we've just spoke about it with social media. I think use it, be bold, you know, seeing how TikTok is evolving and is it Clubhouse, yeah. get it out there, you know, and embrace this digital world. Uh, and that's, you know, use social media for all of its value. Mm, definitely. I think that's a good point that you say about theatre because I've had a few people say, oh, I've got an idea for this, an idea that, this is work of theatre, and actually just testing just testing the material because I think I see people so invested and people sometimes send me scripts and they put so much time and effort into this new sci-fi and I'm thinking it's nice not, it's yeah <laughs> so at least no. you know early on before you put your heart and soul into yeah. a project whether it's gonna yeah. have legs or not <laughs> and send it to the right person you know if I got sent a musical about singing jellyfish that where well, well is you know i'm probably not the right well maybe i am the right person but you know but, but just make sure it's a bit more bespoke rather yeah. than because it, it you're much more likely to get someone that's going to engage with you on a level that you've got a respect for each other because it's a you've got a shared um point of view or voice yeah, that's a good point. Now, in the film industry, obviously, we have OMDB Pro and all that kind of thing. Is there something similar to that in the theatre world where you can see what other people have been putting on and, and interest and stuff most, like that? I think most people have their own websites, mm. um, apart from me. Because <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible with emails, uh, as we've discovered. So I think most people, and also most people will, are, will also put like agency websites and stuff like that. They'll put whether they are open to receiving unsolicited material. Um, and some of them are, some of them aren't. And I think it's going to, yeah, just require a bit of research. And I always believe, you know, that if you spend the time, it's, it, you can find it. And I have to say, certainly when I was coming through the ranks, people, generally speaking, actually want to help. And I think if you own the fact that, you know, you're young, you're an emerging producer or an emerging filmmaker or an, a composer, people will try and do their best to put you in the right direction. I, I think that's certainly been my experience. There's yeah. very few people that I've met that have gone, you are a horrendous human being. I never want to meet you again. <laughs> people, most of the people can see the value in supporting other people. And there's some great resources online. Like you said, I was thinking of the stage. That's got some great resources and interviews yeah. and like that. So there is a lot of, of, of great resources out there for people, which is, which is brilliant. So are you planning on, a, I suppose you can't really plan for a date. I mean, you say May. Is that a kind of thing that you are planning, but hesitant that it may get moved back? I'm saying May and I'm ignoring everything. I'm just going to go full steam ahead. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Um, 
I'm saying May. I think the reality is we'll be open with some sort of social distancing still in place. We've already opened once with all of the COVID uh, protocols in place. So we know we can do it. We know that we can do it safely. We know that we can keep a car safe in the building. Um, so that gives me a lot of assurance because we've already kind of done it. Um, I do think the future of theatre for the summer is probably outdoors. Um, yeah. We've also done that. Um, and we know we can execute that. And this year, you know, uh, last time we were starting planning for that in the middle of June. So it was literally by the seat of our pants. Whereas this year, you know, knowing that that is the future uh, and we're starting that in February, hopefully it means that we can get a, a more varied uh, programme together. Um, yeah. But I'm thinking May. I think it's an exciting time, you know, Paul, because for me, you you're thinking outside the box now. It's the same with me. If I'm writing a, a film, I'm thinking now, right, how can we film it with fewer crew, social distancing? How can we work it? So it's making yeah. us all use our, our initiative a lot, a lot more, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, to, you know, and to think outside the box, you know, I, streaming, I think, will be a new thing that's included in lots of uh, theatre productions. I think we will just make sure that there is a filmed version of shows. Uh, and that's great because it lives on, you know, for, forever and, and hopefully can make people more money, which is brilliant. Yeah. And how, uh, how theatres can work with the Netflix and the Amazons and, and the cross-pollination and, you know, what else can we do? How can that new thing that we've learned extend itself? And as I said, I'm a firm believer that the only way through the last year is to try and hold on to the bits of learning and the bits of light that we've, that we've seen from it. Yeah, we have to be open as well. I mean, it's like you say, look at Hamilton when it came out on Disney. It was never heard of, and that came out on Disney. And I know it's not the same, but for people that maybe can't go, can't afford a ticket, it's a brilliant resource to watch. I mean, we watched it. We love it. Love it. Have it on full yeah. blast. So it yeah. is, and it's something. And helps create make accessibility to mm. theatre. And it is, of course, it's different. And there's no. I don't think there's any substitute for being in the room no. because that shared experience with a group of people feeling the room laugh together is just magical. But it's brilliant and there is also a value to it. Yeah, definitely. Now, if anyone, if you wanted to give someone a bit of advice, he says, uh, coming into the industry, and they don't say don't, it's, it's too much. Don't. What, what sort of advice do you think you could give, Paul? I think, it, I think it depends which um, section of the industry that you want to go into. Uh, I think the, the big thing um, is just knowing, and we've spoke about this a lot today, is just that it's in your bones, mm. that it's, you have that fire in your belly and it doesn't matter what's going to come your way because a lot of is going to come your way, the good, the bad and the ugly. But knowing that you couldn't conceivably do anything else. And, you know, as I've said, I was being a bit silly, but I'm saying I, in my head, I don't think I can do anything else. But part of me really, truly believes that. I truly believe that this is what I'm meant to be doing. It's the thing that wakes me up in the morning. And I've spoke lots about Bill, who is my living uh, guardian angel. And that I hope if I have a third of the passion that he still has, yeah. Um, 
when I'm his age, then I'll be really happy. And I think that's crucial, whether you're 12 or 102. Bill's not 102, by the way. <laughs> but if, but that, you, that you still have that passion. Um, and that's, that's really the most important thing, because if you have that, then you can work in the industry and in whatever role you want to. You, I genuinely believe you can make it happen. It might not be the the role in said show that you thought it was going to be or it might not be the west end or it might not be a broadway but if there if you have that passion you will find your groove and you will find your place within the industry and gen generally speaking i talk about it as an industry but it is a community it really really is a community everybody does know each other um, everybody values what each other brings to that community and for me when our industry works best, it's when people hold each other up and support each other and are each other's cheerleaders. Yeah, definitely. Great bit of advice. And then finally, I always ask my guests for a favourite. Now, the first, it can be a film, book, anything like that, just so it's accessible. Have you got, have you got a favourite, Paul? Book. Book, film, um, anything that sort of oh, inspires you God. maybe? I'm a bit weird because I love a thriller. Oh yeah. So I'm the worst. I'm the worst person to watch because I love the old school thrillers like Speed, one and two. Classic. Um, American Beauty. Oh yeah. Um, right. Love those. But I also I'm reading a book at the moment uh, by Matthew Todd called Straight Jacket, which is also for any gay man, well for anyone really, but as a gay man growing up in a small town like Kidderminster, it's it's at Absolutely. I mean, it's a bit close to the bone, but it's just beautifully told. And it speaks about um, issues surrounding gay men and growing up as a gay man that perhaps haven't been as amplified as loud as they should have been. Yeah, that's good. Straight jacket. I'll have a look at that. What, um, and just talking about that, what's relevant at the minute? Did you watch um, It's a Sin? Loved it. Whoa. Loved it. Blew me it did, and it's um, it's interesting that it came out now during uh, a time when there is a virus, you know, and oh, it, yeah. and we know much more than they knew then about um, AIDS. Uh, I just I stupidly watched it within two days, the whole thing, and actually I wish I'd have Dragged left it out. spread out a bit more because actually I felt so moved and so heavy um, by it, but. Russell T. Davis is a genius. I loved years wow. and years, and yeah. his writing is just is so so brilliant. I was just blown away. He should I, write a play. Yeah, I mean, I heard about it, and I was just like, oh, I'll watch it, you know, because and then you watch it, you're like, wow, and it could, and it's not just it's for everybody, and it's history, yeah. and and uh, oh, I just thought. I also love that lots of the actors in it uh, were from theatre, musical theatre, or yeah. theatre. And that we saw them on at the absolute top of their games, giving like stellar performances. Oh, yeah. And that, and that they've been given a platform to do that because it's not normally the case here. Sometimes we're a bit uh, fussy about um, musical theatre actors and we don't believe that's what they do. They just sing. But actually yeah. seeing them give these beautifully nuanced performances was incredible. Yeah, I noticed uh, there was a couple of, some of the, all the performances were great, but there was a couple that I just thought, wow. And like you say, they'd never had any previous experience. Yes, they'd done theatre. And it was great mm -hmm. that they pulled f fresh people out and, and put them into a show that powerful. I, oh, I loved it, I loved it. 
Okay. And actually, what's your favourite musical? Come on. What is it? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a bit old-fashioned at heart. I think the best musical ever written was West Side Story. Oh, um, okay. I mean, every tune is just a banger. Every single one. <laughs> like, I just... And it was ahead of its time, and it's remained, um, it's remained resonant now. It, it, the orchestrations still feel like they were just written. I, just, I mean, listen, it, it was based on Romeo and Juliet, so it's one of the most famous stories ever told. But it just is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I just love it, and it gets me every time. It, it is great. Phantom's probably mine. I've seen it numerous times, and I just, it just gets me every time. It's just phenomenal. It really is. Ah. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, look, Paul, thanks so much for coming on and, and giving me your time. I'm so glad we got connected, which is the great thing about COVID. And, and it's great. That I just thought, oh, I really want to speak to him and, and we managed to link up. Um, but just keep doing what you're doing. I really look forward to seeing what you're doing next. And, and when you get your next one on, shoot me a message and I'll definitely come, up, come down and, and watch it because uh, what you're doing great. is great. You're only going to get bigger and bigger. Oh, thank you very much. No problem at all, Paul. Look, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Great. So that's it. Massive thanks again to Paul for joining me today and also to you for listening. Make sure you follow the podcast because coming up over the next few months, there are some extraordinary interviews. I actually did one today. Um, and trust me, you do not want to miss this. The guests are just amazing. Uh, now make sure you follow the podcast. Uh, on uh, YouTube, if you put more way of thinking, we're on Instagram, which is my what podcast, Twitter, more way of thinking with a three on the end instead of a G. And every week I also, I always put the conversation. So you've got all the podcast listening platforms, but also if you want to see this beautiful face, uh, <laughs> it's on YouTube. And if you do want to get in touch or you think you know someone who'll be a great guest, then email me. It's my what podcast. It's com. have a great week take care of yourself until next time god bless